Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this series, we're examining every single goddamn page of Alien Hunger, a quick start adventure for Vampire the Masquerade, to determine what is the dumbest thing on that page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. If you'd like to play along at home, this is 1991's Alien Hunger, the official PDF release from White Wolf. Tonight we're discussing page 56 of Alien Hunger, a page that makes me angry in so many ways. Uh, First of all, it's the character sheet of Monica Bellhurst, whom, as you know, I've softened on somewhat. I I do, as I talked about last time, enjoy Monica Bellhurst a little bit now. But last time we talked about her biography, we talked about her personal life, kind of who she is as a shitty person, and I do love shitty people. This is her character sheet, and her character sheet is where a lot of her, like, district attorney adventures stuff live, and that is not my favorite side of Monica. Much more importantly, though, the fact that it's a character sheet at all makes for rough podcasting because this is a lot of rules content. You know, this page is all dots and numbers and official game rules terms and, and so on. But also, because there's not a ton of interest on this page, I think future character sheets will have more to say about the characters, you know, who they are as people as reflected by their character sheets. We already really know Monica. You know, we know who she is. We've been following her throughout the book. We even know how she ended up. Uh, you know, she was the only member of Vampire Drama Club to ultimately regain her humanity. So now, you know, she's immortal in Denver again. Her political career is back on track. Her marriage is fine. Presumably her affairs are fine, except for the one with Emerson, RIP Emerson. So we kind of know Monica. So all I have to talk about here is rules. And unfortunately, the biggest, most interesting rules thing is her willpower of nine. Now, willpower is a real problem in the world of darkness games in general, in vampire in particular, and especially in particular in early vampire. This has to do with a lot of technical shit about how the dice system works, about how like difficulties of nine or 10 interact with the botch rules, where if you roll a one, it subtracts the success, and how that makes the numbers all wonky for expected number of successes for different dice pools. If we start talking about that, your eyes are going to glaze over, my eyes are going to glaze over. These are just going to be words proceeding from no one, bouncing off of your brain and scattering into the void. Like an essay written by ChatGPT for a professor who will barely skim it and give it a B. I don't want that. And yet, that is basically what I did the first time I tried to record this episode. But then, once I was deep in the weeds on this rules bullshit, I consulted the rules of uh, first edition vampire, always a mistake, to clarify a point as I was recording, and found that I had been mistaken about the way these rules work. So now I gotta redo this. What I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is going to seem like a short episode to you, but believe me when I say, it is excruciatingly long. A lot of it is just underwater. So, willpower. It's a stat. It goes from 1 to 10, which is where our problems begin. Most of the stats in this game go from 1 to 5, and then you add two of them together to create a dice pool. With willpower, it's just one stat, 1 to 10. Willpower does a lot of things. Sometimes it translates directly into a static difficulty for other people's die rolls to do things to you that you can resist with willpower. So, like, I'm going to emotionally sway you with my vampire powers. Okay, well, good luck. I've got willpower of nine, which means you have a difficulty of nine on your dice that you roll to do that, to sway me. Other times, willpower is an active dice pool that you roll to resist efforts to bend your will. With dominate, for example, the person who's trying to dominate you, mind control you, they roll their attribute plus ability, and you roll your willpower. In addition to those two uses, Every dot of willpower you have is also a point of willpower you can spend to get an automatic success on a die roll. Now remember that in the storyteller system, getting a success doesn't necessarily mean that you succeed. 
The question is how many successes you roll on a given roll. One willpower point, which is all you can spend in this way, gets you one success on the roll, regardless of the roll's difficulty. So even if something has a difficulty of 10, which means no matter how many dice you roll, you'll probably fuck it up because you're as likely to roll a one as a 10 and one subtract successes. This whole system is fucked. Don't even pay attention to what I'm saying. I'm just, give me a B and let's move on. This, this is fucked. In addition to these rules basically being fucked up, a big problem is that starting characters get a really weird amount of willpower. They get an amount of willpower equal to their courage rating, which can be as low as one, which is a disastrously low willpower to have. It can be a, a maximum of five before spending freebie points, which is still only a middling amount of willpower to have. But it's very cheap to buy up with freebie points and can go up to a maximum of 10, which is an unbelievably advantageous amount of willpower to have. Willpower does like three different crucial things, and it's dirt cheap to buy at character creation. Unlike, say, high abilities or multiple really high attributes, which really start to add up with freebie points, and you can only have so many, you really need to buy them up with experience to get them at high, high levels that'll compete with powerful NPCs. Willpower only goes up to 10. It's one of the most useful things you can have. And you can readily buy it up to 10 at character creation for very little cost. And consequently, really fuck up the undead lives of a lot of NPCs who are supposed to be able to push you around with their big bad vampire powers, but can't if you have willpower 10, because it's willpower 10. So let me give you an example from this page, which we're talking about, unfortunately, for a little while longer. Monica Bellhurst has a willpower of nine. Okay, makes sense. She is an exceptionally strong-willed person. You'll remember that at the very beginning of Alien Hunger, in the first scene that the player characters don't remember, when Prester is going out and uh, abducting all of the prospective members of Vampire Drama Club to bring them back to his mansion and embrace them, the way he does this is by giving them his vampire googly eyes and saying sleep, and then they fall asleep, right? Classic vampire tactic. Now, I was curious about whether Prester could in fact do this to Monica Bellhurst. So I opened up my uh, vampire first edition PDF, and I turned to the dominate section, and interestingly, what I found there was not really so much of a rules description. What it says is, uh, fuck you, this is Vampire First Edition. There are no real rules. All of the crucial moving parts for everything are missing. The concrete mechanics of this game are a welded together collection of seemingly simple dice procedures that result in tortuous mathematical ramifications that the authors clearly didn't understand. That's why rule zero of all these games is you should do whatever you want and ignore the rules, uh, which is coincidentally the only rule that works. Have a goth punk day. Love, White Wolf. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. What it actually says is that you make an opposed role between the dominating character's attribute plus ability for their particular dominate power, which in the case of a single word command like sleep is not actually uh, defined in the rules. So you just kind of, I guess, have to guess or, or decide ad hoc what ability and attribute apply. The dominating character rolls that. And then the target of the dominate rolls their current willpower rating. So whatever their willpower rating is now after whatever willpower they've spent on automatic successes, the difficulty of either of these roles is anyone's guess, and each success gained by the defending character subtracts one success rolled by the mind-controlling character, which the defender hopes will reduce the mind-controller's number of successes below the threshold needed to get the defending character to do whatever they're being mind-controlled to do. What that threshold of successes is, I have no idea. And then if the defender rolls a complete success which I, I guess I take to mean eliminating all of the mind controller successes, though I don't know if that's the case, then the defender can spend a willpower point to make themselves immune to the mind controller's mind control for the rest of the scene. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I love applying some fairly rigorous math to situations where it does not belong, but I'm not a miracle worker. 
Uh, there is there is no way to arrive at a concrete answer about whether Jacob Prester could successfully dominate Monica Bellhurst to sleep. I mean, granted, this is the first level power in a common discipline possessed by pregens in this story and by important NPCs in this story. This is just an unanswerable rules question. However, we can sort of arrive at a best case for Prester. This requires us to answer uh, another question, which has the benefit of being answerable, but the drawback of being a ridiculous question to ask in the context of a vampire campaign. What are Louis Pasteur's strongest social strategies? Well, his charisma and manipulation are both three, and his leadership and subterfuge are both four. So best case scenario, Louis Pasteur, aka Jacob Prester, can roll seven dice to try to dominate Monica to sleep. Let's assume that the difficulty of his role is a six, with no rationale other than the fact that it's kind of like in the middle of the scale, and it's probably the most common difficulty in this edition of the game. On an average roll, we should expect Prester to get like 2.8 successes. Meanwhile, Monica is rolling her willpower, and let's assume it's the same difficulty, because that's the only thing that makes sense really for an opposed roll. She should get an average of about 3.6 successes on her willpower roll to resist. Either of them can spend a willpower to improve their roll, so that's a wash, except that Monica can keep it up longer, because you can only spend one willpower at a time, so she can't spend more than him on a given roll. She can just keep this up for longer if it comes to that, but it won't, because if, as is very likely, Monica rolls equal or more successes compared to Prester, the first time Prester tries to tell her to sleep, she can then spend a willpower to make herself immune to his dominate for the rest of the scene. So, scene number one of Alien Hunger. Jacob Prester sneaks up behind ambitious district attorney Monica Bellhurst and gives her a little, like, tap on the shoulder. She turns back and sees this beardy man who is being weird to her at the community theater production of Romeo and Juliet, makes the mistake of looking him in the eye. He says, sleep, Monica Bellhurst. And she's like, no, weirdo. And that's it. She spends her willpower. He can't dominate her anymore. Now what? Scene number one of Alien Hunger. Monica Bellhurst has so much willpower that she should be able to readily throw off Prester's mind control so that Prester, if he wants to kidnap her, is going to have to do it by force, which utterly changes the whole campaign. Because here's the thing. First of all, if Monica's immune to his dominate, then she's going to remember all this, which she's not supposed to. So she's going to remember how she was abducted. She's going to remember whatever the fuck happens at Prester's mansion after Vampire Drama Club has been abducted. Because she's, you know, she may be blindfolded or whatever, but she's going to be awake unless Prester, you know, knocks her out with conventional means, you know, chloroforms her or whatever. In any case, she'll remember the attack, but she'll also probably remember some other key information. If she's been knocked out by conventional means, she won't necessarily wake up when the house is burning down. But yeah, there are so many questions that this immediately raises and such a wrench that this throws into the setup of the story just from the fact that Monica has way too much willpower. I mean, it's entirely possible that she gets away in the first scene. And at that point, the whole adventure is off the rails from scene one. And I want to point out that this is not a ubiquitous problem with character creation in this book. In the character section, like the NPC characters, there are only three characters who have a willpower of nine. Thaddeus, the millennia-old vampire who isn't in this adventure. Roger Minot, the ghoul who works for Prince Ed, who isn't really in this adventure, but is kind of here in case the storyteller needs a ghoul to do something off-screen. And Columbo, obviously. No vampires who appear in this story have willpower nine, except for Monica and also Emerson. Only player characters. So good luck to Louis Pasteur mind-controlling either of these fucking psychic juggernauts, let alone both, to go to sleep long enough for him to tie them up and drag them to his basement. Which is, I remind you, the premise of the story, 
but is also played out at the table where it can go wrong. So easy. Dumbest thing on this page, Monica's willpower. I'm so sorry, listener, that you had to be here for this, <laughs> for me being angry at this book, for me being angry, not just at this book, but at this game for being complicated. But like, okay, maybe I didn't make this clear. These are horrible rules. They're extremely overcomplicated. They're totally like analogous situations are not resolved anything like analogously. And what's most frustrating about this situation in Early Vampire is that there are so many like dials to turn and switches to flip and different abilities that may come into play for basically no predictable mathematical result because the underlying dice mechanic doesn't work well. So like giving an extra die to someone or increasing or decreasing someone's difficulty on a roll by one or giving someone an extra dot of an ability or someone spending a point of willpower on something or switching something from an opposed roll to like a simple roll made against a difficulty based on another character's stat. All of those complicated things you can do with this system mean totally different things depending on context in a way that is nigh impossible to predict when you're doing rules writing because everything is so goddamn swingy. Anyway, I'm sorry you had to hear this. It's one thing to complain, but I, I don't like it when you have to be here for days when me and the game system are fighting. For real. I'm sorry. This is not my best self. I'm not really a math and rules guy. I'm really a storytelling guy. I truly am more of a creative, by which I mean a person who can't do math. It's just, you know, circumstances sometimes press you into consistently doing things that don't match your self-image. I don't have a problem. The world has a problem. Join me next time when we get back into my ostensible comfort zone as we talk about the second pre-gen in Vampire Drama Club, Teresa Harper, on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been Mega Dumbcast. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Social media was never healthy and is now dying, so if you want to contact me, you can email me. I am megadumbcast at gmail.com. This season's theme song is Suck City by Black Math, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash black underscore math. Dumbheads, I will catch you next time.